from the Gettysburgian and 91.1 WZBT Gettysburg. I'm Ben Ponce, and this is On Target. I'm Gary Mangala, and today on Target, we will be sitting down with President, soon to be President Emeritus, Nick Arbaugh, about his time as Student Senate President. Stay with us. It's time for the bullet report. In a game that sounded more like a football game than a baseball game, the baseball team lost to Dickinson 17 to 10 on April the 12th. On April the 13th, the softball team lost to Swarthmore 5-4. The men's and the women's track team both participated but did not receive a team score in the Bison Outdoor Classic. The women's track team finished 11th out of 15 at the Messiah Invitational. The men finished 6th of 18 at the same event. The men's golf team finished 1st of 18 at the Rosemont Raven Invitational, while the women finished 1st of 7 at the Gettysburg Invitational. The baseball team defeated Ursinus 10-9 on Take ALS Yard Day. Fall behind. <laughs> the men's lacrosse team defeated Haverford 21-5. The men's tennis team lost to Muhlenberg 5-4. The women defeated Muhlenberg 9-0. The women's lacrosse team defeated Haverford 20 to 10 while the baseball team lost to her signers again 11 to 8. The softball team lost to Swarthmore 7-5. Then the softball team had a game that was rained out against Haverford. The softball team defeated McDaniel 5-3. The men's golf team finished first out of 10 of the Gettysburg College Spring Invitational. The baseball team defeated Franklin and Marshall 10-2. Lost to the men's tennis team lost to Franklin and Marshall 9-0. The softball team defeated McDaniel 10-1. The women's tennis team lost to Franklin and Marshall 6-3. The women's lacrosse team defeated Dickinson 15-11. The softball team lost to Haverford 4-0. The baseball team lost to Franklin and Marshall 9-5. The softball team tied Haverford 6-6, as apparently that can happen in softball. Thus endeth the bullet. Wait, can you go back to the, to the Franklin and Marshall one? <laughs> no. <laughs> we'll be right back with our interview with Nick Arbaugh. As you can tell, he's already here. And we're thrilled to be joined today by Nick Harbaugh, the president of the Gettysburg College Student Senate. Nick, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. It's nice to be back with you guys, you know, staying woke on the airwaves. Let's get started. <laughs> well, you know, I was bracing myself for something else you had said just before we started, you might say, but I'm glad you didn't. Did I have that look in my eye? You, you did. <laughs> you, uh, you are the... Uh, <laughs> Wrapping up your term, uh, to the delight of some, probably <laughs> not the least of which yourself, uh, <laughs> president of the Gettysburg College Student Senate, uh, and I want to start here. Your successor is someone that you and I both know well, uh, uh, an individual named uh, Patrick McKenna Jr., <laughs> and I just wanted to get your reaction to Pat's election. Yeah, I've always preferred to uh, refer to him as Patrice, uh, and I plan on continuing to do so. But uh, yeah, no, I've, as he said, I've known Pat for a while. Um, he's been Senate for a while. Uh, I think he's very competent. I think he'll do fine. I look forward very much to seeing what he's uh, got cooked up in that head of his for next year. That head of his, indeed. Uh, speaking of things that were cooked up in your head, uh, <laughs> that's a dangerous road. I don't know if you want to go down this path. <laughs> you're you're now able to kind of look back on your presidency, um, and I'm wondering whether you have any particular accomplishments or or other uh, items you you would be proud of from your time in the role. What is it they? What is it the ancient Greeks would always say? Pride before the fall. I wasn't alive at that time, but maybe you were. <laughs> <laughs> don't don't judge my age by my views, my friend. Um, I uh, 
I think so. I like to look at it not as like you know, oh, what what President Arbal did during you know his tenure because I don't think that that's an accurate portrayal. But I think it's much better to look at what did Senate work on this year um, as a body and how effective were we in executing that. And I think um, broadly we've been successful. Not only are we, um, you know, I know that it's for a lot of the younger uh, people at the college they don't quite remember when we were kind of going off the train tracks in terms of budgeting. Um, and so I think the fact that we've run a tight ship this year, we've been accountable, we've expected people to be accountable, um, is in itself an accomplishment. And the same thing goes for committees and having them meet weekly. I mean, last year there were committees that met, I think, as you mentioned um, in one of the debates, one time or two times. I do recall mentioning that in one of the debates. I mean, it, it, like, that's just, that's ridiculous and it can't happen. And, you know, this year, I, again, it, the younger people probably won't know this, but the fact that we're having committees meeting every week, that we're having roster, you know, rosters taken, and we are actually being able to do work in these committees in a way that we've never been able to do before, I think is um, an amazing, amazing uh, achievement that, um, you know, I don't want to take credit for because tr truthfully, it's not just been me, it's not just been my exec board, but it's been the entire Senate that is, you know, said we're going to commit to doing this right. And um, I think that's a tremendous accomplishment. And then you also, you know, you have, um, you know, lots of events through the year that we funded that went off pretty well. Um, I think it's broadly been a very like successful year on campus for lots of clubs. Um, we've recently, um, you know, committed ourselves to seeing through our, uh, the Senate opinion on free menstrual care products, um, which is, we're looking forward to be implemented. Um, we've worked with the administration on free speech, on reforming some of the uh, codes um, related to that sort of things. I, I really think that um, a good takeaway of this year is, the, is, is commitment. I think Senate has committed. I think the committees have committed. <laughs> that sounded better in my head. Um, you should be committed. I, I think generally I've been committed, you know, in a general sort of way. Um, God. Um, I, I, I think that people are investing in the process and we're seeing the gains from that. Yeah, I want to circle back to something you said right at the beginning of that answer, which was about um, more restraint in budgeting. I know that that has kind of been a point of contention with some folks that they feel, uh, and I think these are particularly some of, um, some of the identity-based organizations or cultural clubs that have uh, felt that the Budget Management Committee, BMC, has, you know, either if not overtly discriminated against them, been hostile to uh, their requests for funds in, in ways that they have not been hostile to other organizations. And I'm just kind of curious to hear your take on that particular charge. Yeah, so for more of the first part of your question, um, I don't think that there's anybody in Senate who thinks we should go back to the way we used to do it, where we're not thinking at all about our budget numbers, where we're not, you know, thinking about how to be, uh, you know, live with, living within our means, for lack of a better phrase. I think that the initiatives of saying, hey, look, we need to cut $100 back from each of these these 10 budgets so that we can fund that $1,000 event down the road for a club later in the year, I think that's been broadly popular, especially from the clubs that have come um, later in the year. Uh, MSA, the Muslim uh, Student Association, uh, just came for 
uh, we just we, we just gave them five thousand dollars for an event. We would never be able to do that if we didn't look at each budget and scrutinize it and say, hey, could you work with us here? Could you work with us on this little bit? We've always tried, at least when I've been on BMC, to preserve the integrity of the event, unless the event was something that we felt was completely not related to the club, which is very, very rare. Um, we have always tried to preserve the central integrity of the event while looking to maybe you know, look at some of these little excess costs so that we could save money there for a bigger event down the line. Now, to the second part of your question, um, I mean, I've been on BMC for uh, two, uh, two and a half years, I think, maybe two years. I can't quite remember if I got on there freshman year. I think I did towards the end. Um, I think, I, look, we have a process and we have precedence. And we expect people to adhere to that process that we make clear. We talk about it. I remember in the beginning of the year when we were having some of these issues, we talk about it at every meeting. And it's all laid out online. We, we give tutorials on how to do it. We're very willing to discuss things. We're very willing to hear feedback from the clubs there. Um, I, I think there's absolutely no grounds, none whatsoever, to assert that we have ever sat in that room and looked at a budget and said, well, I don't like what that club's about, or I don't like you know going so far as to say, I don't like that ethnic group or something like that, and then tried to cut a budget. I mean, that is just horrible. Horrible, horribly wrong, and I cannot state that enough. That everyone in that room um, comes comes there looking to provide the best for the campus community, and the idea that we have, um, you know, scrutinized certain clubs' budgets more than others based off of their, you know, collective identity group or something like that is just nonsense. It's it's completely false. Where do you think that perception comes from? From the from the perception that um, yeah. we're dis discriminatory. I mean, it's tough. I don't want to speak for anyone because I, I mean I can't speak to the the motives um, of people who aren't me. Um, I I don't know. I mean, frankly, on one hand, look, people just don't like hearing the word no, and it's easy to feel targeted when you're the only. I mean, if your experience with BMC is the the only time that you've been there. We tried to cut down on one of your $100 items. It's easy to sort of feel targeted in that sense. Um, and, and, you know, I, I get the emotion, but the logic just isn't there. And, and I think, you know, partly it comes down to people were expecting to be discriminated against. I think it was walking in, they were, I don't want to say looking for it, but they had that in mind going in. And I don't know why that is. The Budget Management Committee, I, I think, and I don't mean to sound too egotistical here, but I think part of it relates to me. I mean, when I announced my candidacy last year, there were meetings about how awful my political views were. We saw in the Gettysburgian article with Anna Perry, you know, the, the accusation that I was too conservative for Senate, as if I've ever brought my political beliefs into the Senate room at all. And I think that, you know... Broadly, people, I mean, maybe there's a, I understand there can be misconceptions about me, but I do think that we would be wrong if we sat there and said that part of this idea didn't stem from, I don't like those political views. I have a preconception about those political views. I've always been very open about what I think politically. I'm a conservative. 
but it has absolutely nothing to do with how I act in Senate. Absolutely nothing. And my record, I think, backs that up to a T. I always abstained, even when I didn't have to last year, which is something that Gettysburgian remarked. And I think that, frankly, you know, it's it's just, it was, it was unfair. It was an unfair way to categorize BMC. It's an unfair way to categorize me, and or or, or even broadly, like you know, whatever you think my views are, which given that I've had very few like in major in-depth discussions with people, I'm shocked to see how much they know about me, you know. Um, I think it's, it's completely unfair. So I think to answer your question, to wrap it up, it's a lot of different things. But I think a lot of it, it, it just comes down to misconceptions and preconceived notions that denied the BMC the ability to speak for itself. Now... Kind of following what you were, you were saying about the meetings that happened um, when you announced your candidacy last year, and then going into the way that, I guess, student concern specifically has run within the Senate, you know, we've seen a lot of commentary about microaggressions, both within Senate, within the college, and specifically in BMC, and you as well as the rest of the executive board have remained relatively quiet during those comments, but also just um, any time that Senate specifically is considered to be um, discriminatory or racist. Um, why have you been so silent about it? Yeah, I actually, I, I get people asking me that question a lot and, you know, it comes down to, um, first, uh, first and foremost, my job is, is to preside over the student Senate. I'm there to listen to concerns and foster debate and allow it to happen and make sure that the rules are being followed to the best of my ability and try in my capacity to, you know, act out the will of the Senate. So it's not my place to sit and argue with people about their concerns. Um, two, I, you know, I think there's something to be said for if I pushed back against some of the student concerns. And, you know, it's, it's, it's hard when not talking about specific concerns, you know, because I don't want to paint with too broad a brush. But some of the stuff that would be said and, and that they would accuse Senate of um, would just be factually untrue and, and com completely manufactured just nonsense. And I cannot sit there and, you know, yell back, it's not true, or you're wrong, or push back against that, because then it looks like, you know, I am... Pushing, I am repressing that sort of talk. I'm pushing back against it too hard. I'm, you know, taking it all my, you know, taking it out on marginalized communities and stuff like that. And I want people. The minute I I would do that is the minute people would say, okay, our fears are confirmed. He's a you know right wing nutcase that is looking to just crush our spirits and and, and push us back into the you know outer rims or, or however you want to say it. Um, you know, do I, you have to believe, and I think you got, like, I know both of you somewhat well, you guys, you guys know I'm not one to really shy away from sort of a, not a, I don't want to say confrontation, but a debate. I'm, I'm very open about what I think. I'm very willing to talk about it. Um, it was killing me all year. 
I mean, it drives me nuts for people to go up there and accuse committee heads, not even just myself, but committee heads, all committee heads need to have less bias because they're so biased now. All these departments have had bias incidents. And then when I ask about it, there's no evidence. All this stuff, there's microaggressions going on left and right. It kills me because they're, they're accusing these people, you know, some of these concerns are accusing people with no evidence, but it's just taken as true. And it, and it drives me nuts not to push back against that sort of stuff because I've worked with a lot of these people. I know these people. I know they're good people. Um, and it's really, really tough. But that is the situation that I was in. And so I tried to deal with it the best I could and just sat and listened and, you know, would evaluate myself and say, like, are what they're saying is true, like, is what they're saying true? And try my best from there. We've talked a lot about what uh, you believe Student Senate's best successes were. We've talked a bit about what other people think you and Student Senate were failing at. Uh, what do you think uh, Senate's shortcomings were? And what do you think your own personal shortcomings were this year? Um, that's a good question. Uh, so things I think that Senate can do better on next year. Um, I think that there could be more deliberation. I think that in some cases, you know, I accept that in, 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 in certainly in some cases there's just unanimous agreement for certain things. I think in some cases, though, there um, needed to be a little bit more del deliberation, a little bit more consideration. Um, I think you saw as we got to the end of the year, more people were actually reading the budgets beforehand and doing their homework. I think that was great. I think it needs to continue. Um, I think that one really good area of improvement that I've been uh, talking about, I didn't really find um, the time and the support that I was looking for this year to, to push on this, but one thing that I think would be great would be to increase the role of members in committees, because right now it's kind of like the committee head just does the job, and I don't think that's what it should be. People like senators and people who go to committees shouldn't just be there to you know blow hot air at each other. If you're going to be a member of this committee and you're going to be a serious member of this committee, I think that a really great part of including more people in this whole process will be to divvy up some of the work among the committee. Like certainly the committee heads would still take the lead on things and would run the d deliberations and the discussions. But I think that if we had more involvement, more hands-on involvement in some of these committees, um, I think that that would greatly improve people's feelings of, of you know being able to access the mechanisms of Senate. Um, and so I think that it would be, it would be really good if, um, you know, something were done to increase that. I know one idea that we banged around was basically, um, having people assign themselves to committees and that they would be permanent members on those committees so that they could, so a committee had count on them, sort of like how we did it with Scoggle where there were members and the members are, you know, responsible for doing things on their own. Mm -hmm. Um, we never really were able to settle on language or a way to do that, but I think it would be a great initiative moving forward. I know um, Pat has talked a lot about how big of a fan of committees he is, mm -hmm. um, and so I, I look forward to see what he wants to do with those. Yeah, I want to uh, touch back on something you said earlier about deliberation. We saw, um, I guess three weeks ago now, a motion to try to approve all the budgets at once, um, we've also seen a few times people approving budgets um, while like people raising their hands to move to approve budgets while other people may still have had questions and same things with um, tabling and adopting amendments. 
um, for you, uh, seeing that, you know, I think for a lot of people, it resonated as people just wanting to get out of the room quickly, um, of student Senate, uh, as president and as, you know, the chair that is overseeing all of this, what went into your decisions to, you know, allow someone to approve something when you think there should have been more deliberation or there was more questions? So, um, I mean, I'll just be upfront with it. I tended to go based off of, you know, there are the usual suspects who make quick motions. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, when I would see other people with hands, I would then try and, you know, deny those motions or get them to uh, withdraw those motions so that we could have more discussion and stuff like that. Um, I think a big part of it is a institutional culture thing. I think that this was the first year where we got serious about how we interacted on the Senate floor and how well we um, followed procedure like we've always been supposed to, at least since I've been here. And I think that there are definitely some growing pains when you try and adhere to, um, you know, this isn't a class, people weren't taught going in, we tried to do onboarding, and I think it was broadly successful, but still, um, like everything, it's going to take some practice. And I think throughout the year you saw um, it get better and better that uh, how people were interacting with each other and making motions and being respectful of one another's questions. Um, so I, I, I don't think there was too much of an issue there. Um, per your first point, uh, the approve all the budgets at once thing. Um, I see both sides of it. Like, I see how it can be seen as like, oh, I just want to get out of here. Like, we're going to approve them all anyway. But at the same time, like, um, you know, like, like I pointed to earlier, not everyone's reading the budgets and maybe they'll see something that they don't like or maybe a club will see something that they say hey you didn't give us money for this don't give them money for this and so i think it's important that we keep doing it line by line or, or rather budget by budget i want to ask something related to some of the work you've been doing with respect to budgets i know that senate is likely to end this year with a fairly large surplus um um uh, somewhat uh we're, we're looking I mean, it's it's hard to estimate because we don't know um, what kind of commitments will, how much how much if people will sp spend as much as they say they are going to, or just won't spend any of what they're going to they've right. been allotted. So we're looking at, I wouldn't I, I would say a surplus of at least five thousand and probably not more than fifteen thousand, but I don't know. Right, but so one of the things that's on the agenda for the last Senate meeting of the year, though, is discussing the creation of this sort of endowment fund. Um, that would be broadly directed, I think, towards the goals of student leadership. Uh, and there's an award that you, we would, that you would uh, give out. And there's an award that you would give out annually, um, the Janet Morgan Riggs Student Leadership Award. Talk a little bit about kind of the genesis of all of that thinking and kind of the, you know, the rationale for something like that. So I do my best thinking in the shower. Um, this idea can't. Don't worry, it's not going to be one of those stories. Um, <laughs> uh, this idea came We're to. Thrilled. Yeah. <laughs> I, I thought about this in the summer. Um, I had noticed that you know I, I had done a lot of thinking about. Okay, well, you know I, as as we've talked about, I'm a I'm a live within your means guy. Um, but at the same time, we can't just have a pot of money sitting there and not doing anything for the students, not doing anything for the Senate. And so we want to use it for something. But if we just sit there one year and say, you know what, let's blow it on frivolities. Well, maybe that'll provide some sort of temporary glee. But in the long term, it's not doing anything for the students on our campus. Right. 
So this idea basically would be to establish an endowment fund using a significant chunk, not all, but um, a significant commitment from Senate's rollover budget, okay. um, as well as donations. And it wouldn't be something that would be established right away. Um, if it is approved by the Senate, I would still need to work through with the administration. It probably wouldn't come into fruition until McKenna's administration, at which point he will promptly take credit for it, I'm sure, as any good politician would. Um, I think, let the record show he's smiling at that. Um, I am indeed smiling, not because I disagree, because I strongly agree. Not necessarily about the any good politician thing, but about our next <laughs> next dear leader. I, I tap with that one. <laughs> um, and so basically the idea, which I think, I, I hope, um, if I explain it, finds broad support would be to take a significant um, chunk of our money and contribute it towards an endowment fund. And the endowment fund would pay out a sum every year right. that would be divvied into three, not necessarily equal, definitely not equal parts um, each year. And one part would be, as you mentioned, the Janet uh, Morgan Riggs Leadership um, Award, which would sort of be a scholarship in the vein of the Dr. Ralph Cavalier Award that we give to teachers. It would be something targeting student leaders, um, targeting um, people who have um, you know, shown themselves to be committed to this campus, to committed to leadership, to trying new things, you know, exactly what we're trying to engender in our students here. Um, so one portion would be that. The second portion would um, pay money into a Senate budget that would basically be used um, to supplement leadership activities that our clubs do. Um, so this would be primarily, I mean, we already have conferences and stuff like that. We have um, things that certainly, uh, probably every event requires student leadership. But it would be, uh, this money would specifically be to stuff that maybe, you know, constitutionally we couldn't fund. Maybe we wanted to fund a little bit more. Um, it would increase, well, I get to why it'll increase year after year. But basically, it would just be to supplement our budget so that we can provide for students, perhaps who don't have the privileges that some other students have, who don't come from the means that other students have, um, so that we can continue to improve in not only individual student experiences, but our campus experience as a whole. And um, the third part of that would be a, a very small amount, um, I believe in the number of 30%, I, don't quote me on that because I'll have to check, um, would be contributed back into the endowment to grow that sum every year so that the payout is steadily increasing um, so that we can... Um, continue to fund bigger and better stuff on Gettysburg. I mean, we've had a, a budget of $90,000 since I've been here. Um, I remember last year there was talk that if it had been kept uh, consistent with inflation since 92 or something, it would have been up to $120,000. It's not. We understand, um, you know, we fully understand that. But this is a way for Senate to take its fate into its own hands. This is a way for Senate and students to take their experience into their own hands and continue in a sustainable way um, to promote events on campus and promote leadership on campus um, and to, to, you know, broadly just to get people active to, to, to doing things that we want them to be doing, um, you know, as, as students, running, going to conferences, running um, big events, running, you know, your Berg Bursts, your uh, ASA always has that uh, Lunar New Year, I think, uh, event every year that gets a ton of people, um, you know, stuff that is really just what we're looking to do on campus. Right. 
I want to shift gears a little bit away from Senate specifically, but to a related topic that I know you're interested in, which is the issue of freedom of expression. Um, I know that you've been involved this year as the Student Life Committee has been conducting sort of an uh, a review of institutional policy uh, with respect to freedom of expression after last year. Uh, you know, we went through that lengthy process of uh, ratifying, developing and ratifying a statement on the issue. First, I was wondering if you can kind of give an update on how those deliberations have been going. I know it's been an ongoing thing throughout the year. And then second, uh, maybe your you know, reflections on what you'd still like to see or what you're happy that's been accomplished. Yeah, so, um, actually, I don't, I don't get to talk about this as much as I want to. Um, so... And what on a, a great idea to have a podcast to discuss these issues. I, I told you, I'll be here as long as you want. Ask me anything. Um, not too personal. But, uh, <laughs> I have a hard shell, but I'm soft inside. Um, That's the title of the episode. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> I'll see that on the... Po that should have been my campaign slogan. Um, so freedom of expression. What are we talking about? Yeah. <laughs> so freedom of expression, we, we have our uh, statement of philosophy that we passed last year with flying colors. Um, that I think is very uh, a very affirmative statement in favor of student rights to expression and especially especially political speech. Um, and so this year on SLC, uh, we've continued and we're about um, to finalize and send out to everyone um, drafts of uh, the harassment, new drafts of the harassment policy, of the bias uh, incident policy. Um, excuse me. Um, Oh, shoot, I'm forgetting one of them. We've looked at a bunch of different documents. We've also done stuff with hazing um, and mental health on campus and stuff like that. But in terms of freedom of expression, the main ones have been the harassment and the bias response policies. And so we have large, I mean, we've kept the structure of the existing statements intact while also being careful to um, update them according to main college policies. And I can't go too much into detail about it. But uh, I will say that um, I would, by reading the policy, I would be very surprised if anyone who is giving political speech, um, you know, in a time, manner, place, reasonable way, uh, finds any sort of institutional action against them, which is exactly what we want. You know, Gettysburg doesn't have to give us certain things, but they ought to, and I think they are morally compelled to. And so I think that the statements we've been crafting and working and Del deliberating about um, make very clear uh, that freedom of expression is an important value, that you cannot just use institutional actions against people because you don't like what they're saying or disagree with what they're saying, um, and that the point of these policies at the end of the day is education, not punishment, right? Um, so on that side, I think, I think we're looking very good. Um, I think I think really, really I, I have a bright outlook on that thing. But on the other side of the coin, Gettysburg is not vastly different from other colleges around the country. It's not. Um, we look at thing. We look at places like Middlebury. We look at places like Evergreen State College in uh, on the West Coast. Mm -hmm. um, there was uh, shoot, I can't remember that one. Um, but there was another incident recently with Michael Knowles. I just, I can't remember where he was. Um, the, 
the pushback against freedom of expression and freedom of speech and frankly just freedom to be different from people is always a a serious threat on our college campuses and that goes every which way we can't have people trying to run college professors out of cities because um, they say that they don't like Israel or that they don't support Israel. At the same time, we can't have people shouting down conservative speakers. And so I say this to, to sort of get hammer home the point that the elements that push back against freedom of speech are on Gettysburg. And they have institutional friends and they have academic friends. And they are committed. And you better believe that they believe with all their hearts that what they're doing is right and that they have no reason to stop pushing back against freedom of expression for certain viewpoints. Absolutely. It will always be a threat and we always need to fight back against it. And two, to underscore the point that the vast majority of college administrators that interact with Students come from a particular political viewpoint. 70% are identify as progressives compared to 9% that identify as conservatives. Is that nationwide or at Gettysburg? That's nationwide. I think that was a study that came out of Dickinson, and then Jonathan Haidt over at Heterodox Academy has done some similar work. And I don't know if the numbers are exactly the same, but the, the point is that there was a huge disparity Um. I shouldn't say disparity. There is a huge, um, yeah, I guess there's a disparity between what the students believe and perhaps what the college administrators believe. And I have many progressive friends, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And I'm sure 99.9% .9 of those people absolutely adore freedom of speech and support it as a chief American value. But we have to be careful about that sort of thing. We have to be aware that... Um, administrators might not be in step with the student body. They might not be in step with, you know, broadly the American public and our long-cherished freedoms to speak and to think differently and to bring people who agree with us um, or, or, or to agree, that agree with us to our college campuses and to our public spaces. Um, and so on one hand, our policies at Gettysburg are looking good. Our freedom of expression philosophy statement is, is wonderful. I think they did a tremendous job on it um, with my uh, commentary at times. Um, let the record show me he's smiling once again. At the same time, uh, the battle's never over. You have to be vigilant. I don't think we'll have any issues, but issues are possible. Mm -hmm. And as a student body, we have to be careful because it is more important to protect people you disagree with than to, you know, side with some sort of institutional action because you really just don't like what they have to say. Yeah, I want to jump in a little bit more on a little bit. You know, I think the knock against the kind of line of argument that you're making, and, and some some would say that you're kind of setting up these straw man college administrators who mm -hmm. are, you know, liberal actors. I want to ask specifically about kind of the experience you had talking about these issues on the Student Life Committee. I mean, the Student Life Committee is a group that is composed of 
college life staff, as well as, you know, faculty and administrators from the academic division. I know that, you know, the vice provost, Jack Ryan, is on that committee. Julie Ramsey, the dean of students, who's from College Life, um, is on that committee, as is Jeff Foster and Ron Weapi. And so these are all fairly senior college administrators. What would you, would you say that the assessment that you just raised about college administrators whose values are out of line with college students nationwide is something that resonates with the experience you've had this year on Student Life Committee? Yeah, just to clarify what I said earlier, um, it might have been Sarah Lawrence College, not Dickinson. I'm, I'll have to check that one. Um, but to your question, so I can't go, what we talk about in SLC is um, somewhat confidential. So I, I, yeah, it wasn't my rule, but I will respect it. Um, so I don't want to go too much into that and, and what people personally believe. I think it's important to make the point, though, that I'm not, I'm not saying that people need to, you know, watch every progressive administrator or administrator that votes Democrat or, you know, really any administrator with the constant worry that they're going to come after their freedom of speech. People just need to be worried and cogent that these things can disappear and that they have massive ramifications for ourselves and for society as a whole. And so, you know, speaking about my experience on SLC, I have my opinion. I mean, everybody has different opinions. Right. Um, I lean very heavily on the side of freedom of speech. I think that the best way to counter speech is through speech, not through institutional action. Mm -hmm. I think we have worked very well together um, coming from different perspectives to craft policies that both allow for student expression while at the same time allowing for the college to monitor its social climate. Right. Um, and so I, 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 I 100% don't want to leave people with the impression that I'm saying there's some kind of conspiracy out there because that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is every American, whether they're a communist or you know, the opposite direction or, or, or whatever, need to worry about protecting these things that we've come to kind of take for granted. Mm -hmm. Turning it back to Senate, I know a big question that we had, or at least I had, at the beginning of the academic year was when you made the decision to appoint Hilly Gluhanich, who had recently been barred from rerunning as president. We don't, we don't need to get into the whole story behind that. But um, then you ended up appointing her as treasurer, the position that you had originally um, won, though you had run unopposed. Um, can you talk a little bit about what go went into the decision of picking Haley? So with regards to Haley, um, I'm not going to discuss certain candidates. You know, I'm not going to go into why we didn't pick this candidate or that candidate mm -hmm. because that's uh, you know, just not right. Yeah. Um, with Haley's appointment, it came down to, uh, you know, I really like the way Gerald Ford pardoned Nixon, and I think that's what this can't. No, I'm kidding. Um, I look, she was the best candidate for the job, um, in my opinion, and I think she's done a tremendous job in that role. I have, I have no regrets about that. Can you speak a little bit to the executive board as a whole, how you think it's functioned? I know that we've we've seen a couple of articles in the Gettysburg version written by me, so I don't know why I'm saying it that way, um, about um, <laughs> whether or not the executive board has been fully functioning the entire year, especially within itself as a whole. Um, can you speak a little bit about your experience on it this year? Yeah. Um, 
I think if you judge us by right now, you would say, wow, that, that, that's a really, you know, gelling group. Mm-hmm. Like they're really, that's, that's, that's a team right there. Um, beginning of the year, we were different people. Mm-hmm. A lot of us didn't know each other that well. Um, or if we did, it was, you know, it, it, we knew each other peripherally perhaps, but, um, I think we encountered some growing pains. I think we, um, you know, and we're trying to feel each other out in the beginning. Yeah. Um, you know, I remember reading the Gettysburg article about me appointing people without consulting anyone or something like that. And that's just, uh, I mean, it's categorically not true. And, and other execs will back me up on that. Um, you know, I think Grace Wenzel was a fantastic addition. Uh, I think she did a lot too. Um, I just feel like she's a really good presence in discussions. I think she has a very uh, nuanced take on, on some things. I really respect her viewpoint. Um, and I respect all of their viewpoints. They, they were all really um, helpful to me as, you know, I was getting sort of maligned as a racist and overly mm-hmm. conservative and, and, you know, all this stuff by um, people during the year. And, 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 you know, I think they performed their jobs Rather well. I mean, were there hiccups? Yeah. Uh, we're kids. There's always going to be hiccups. Just to jump in on that particular issue, I mean, in the fall, there seemed to be a perception that some members of your executive board were sowing some of those perceptions. Do you think that was the case at the time? I mean, I think your article covered it pretty well. It is categorically untrue. Why? That... that it, it is completely false that I did not, um, you know, adhere to the Constitution or um, consult people or, or, or stuff like that. Now, why those individuals spoke about that or said that, only they and their creator know. But um, I, I, I don't know how much else to add to that from my perspective other than it's just not true. Uh, I guess getting a little bit more specific into your executive board, Marissa Belanda, who is currently your secretary, just lost the um, presidential election to Pat McKenna and uh, posted on her Instagram story. We covered it. Uh, Instagram, not story, I guess, but blog. I don't know what it's called. Um, a caption uh, with a picture of her and Rock Schwartz, who recently lost the election for vice president to Jack Lashendock, with the caption, um, ha- congr- uh you're welcome for the free tampons and new laundry machines. Good luck without us. Essentially announcing that she's kind of done with student senate after this year. What was your reaction to that and to her later statement to the Gettysburg and that she does think that she's done with student senate now? Well, I don't have Instagram, thank God. Um, so <laughs> neither does Ben. I only I only really uh, heard it heard about it like after the fact. Um, look, you know, she's an adult. She can do what she wants. He's an adult. He can do what he wants. Um, you know, I think they've, I, I think it would be a shame for them to, to bow out of Senate like I am doing, um, at least for a week or two at the end of this year. <laughs> uh, I, I, I think it would be a shame for them to, to bow out of Senate. I think they've both offered a lot and, and are both committed people. Um, but I mean, I, you know, I'm not them. They can, uh, only they can, can do that calculus for themselves. Mm. Now you just kind of talked a little bit about your future is with Senate. What is your future with Senate? Yeah, I, I plan to um, take power in a palace coup next year, uh, marching in with 
PCG armed at my back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I didn't get my. I didn't what a get, great plan! The DPS arming plan didn't go through, so they're the, yeah. the they're the extras. <laughs> no one's going to be able to stop you though. DPS <laughs> is an arm. It's very true. Um, I, I, you know, I don't really know. I, I've got some other projects that I wanted to work on um, next year, but I've always liked Senate, and even though right now I have no plans on. Um, getting, you know, being involved. Um, I think I know myself well enough to say that uh, I'll probably be involved. And Much to some people's chagrin, I imagine. Yeah. Maybe as a last question, you're exiting Senate. Janet Morgan Riggs is exiting the college, which means that two new presidents are on their way in, one of the Gettysburg <laughs> College Student Senate and then one of Gettysburg College. What advice would you give to each of those incoming presidents, uh, Pat McKenna and then Robert Uliano? Well, I, w- I would just say, um, you know, start with Pat. I, I would be, uh, I would be partial to, you know, there's a, I'm trying to start a Janet Morgan Riggs scholarship, a Nick Arbol scholarship fund would be interesting. Um, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> Are you though? My, 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 my advice to Pat, and I'll take this from someone who's had tremendous influence um, on my life uh, as, as I've developed in the college. Not someone I know, but um, Canadian uh, psychologists and polemicist, I'd say, uh, Jordan Peterson, who has talked a lot about, and this is the advice I'll give to Pat, you know, stand up straight with your shoulders back. Be who you are, not who other people want you to be. Don't apologize for things you didn't do. You know, don't give an inch when you don't have to take on as much responsibility and and look for as much meaning in what you're doing as possible. And for, you know, for President Giuliano, I'd certainly offer the same advice. It's my standard advice. Uh, it's $5.99 at the bookstore. Um, look, I, I don't know the first thing about running a college. Um, I'd love to try given the salary, but um, I'm not, I'm not going to pretend, I'm not going to, pretend to uh, know exactly what he's going to have to go through and deal with. I would say Gettysburg has a culture. Um, it doesn't like when that culture gets messed with. It, it, I think we we respect and, and look for change here, but we do it organically. And so, and I, I imagine, you know, he would, he, he seems like a very smart guy. I'm sure he knows this already, but don't be afraid to, you know, put your toe in the water first and, and test it out and take it easy. Don't just jump right into the deep end. All right. Uh, President Nick Arbaugh, one of the last times we can say that. Thanks. Thanks so much for joining us. President Emeritus is what it's going to be from now on. A slightly fancier title with Latin in it. It has Latin in it. God save the queen. Ah, amen. That's on target for this week. We'd like to thank Nick Arbaugh for being our featured guest today. We would also like to thank the staff of the Guinness version and the executive board of WCBT for their ongoing support in this project. Please be sure to subscribe to On Target on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play, or wherever else you get your podcasts. On Target is a joint production of the Guinness version and WZBT. Our theme music was composed by Diego Rocha, senior music major focusing on composition in the Sutterman Conservatory of Music. Join us next week. We'll hopefully be sitting down with new president, Pat McKenna. If he's listening, or maybe our current president could bully him into doing it. Will do.
Have a great week. <laughs>